Hello again, everyone. This is Dan Duva. Welcome to a special edition of the SLGND podcast. Sheriff Lawless and some guy named Dave. It's Dan Duva and Gary Lawless today. And this is a little bit of a different podcast than we've done before. We got questions today from season ticket members exclusively. So rather than uh, getting questions from the, the regular cast of characters like Dave and Shane and Gary and me, these questions are coming directly from our season ticket members. And therefore, uh, we needed to have a very special guest for this opportunity. And that, of course, is the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, Mr. Pete DeBoer. So, Pete, the first question comes from Dan D in the press box. And that is, uh, how are you doing? How's it going? <laughs> I'm good, Dan. I'm good. Uh, you know, I've been... Staying busy. We've uh, a lot of contact, uh, you know, with players recently. Uh, we have a coaches uh, Zoom call at least once a week, uh, sometimes more. Uh, you know, doing a lot of work uh, kind of on a daily basis on our team, on some of the teams we might see in the playoffs. So finding a way to stay busy in, in uh, tough times. Yeah. And, and Gary, you got to talk to Pete recently for a piece you've been working on, right? Yeah, I talked to the entire coaching staff and uh, it's about their path to the NHL and a little bit about their philosophy as, as coaches. And uh, so we, uh, we're going to launch that in the next day or so. And it starts with, uh, with a Q&A with, uh, with Coach DeBoer. And then there's also a, uh, a really fun Zoom call that we did with, uh, with all four of uh, the bench coaches that um, uh, the guys, uh, they played along and uh, we, had, we had some fun with it. And I'm really looking forward to, to publishing that and for fans to get a chance to see it. Well, that's fantastic. We look forward to that. And we want to get to as many questions as we can from the season uh, season ticket members here, guys. So let's get right to it. We're going to go first to Chris from Section 222. Chris is from Henderson. And Pete, here's the first question for you today. Uh, given the choice of playoffs without fans in the stands or canceling the entire season to start a new season in full, which would you choose? Oh, no question. We want to play. I mean, you know... Uh, our fans are a huge home ice advantage for us. Um, you know, in a perfect world, we'd love to be able to, uh, to play games uh, at home and in front of our group uh, of, of season ticket holders because uh, they really do give us a, a boost and, and the home record in Las Vegas speaks for itself. But, uh, you know, if the, if the choice is no fans or no games, then, you know, we'll, we'll play with no fans. I think I read a quote by Matt, Max Pacioretty saying he'd play in Antarctica if it, uh, if it meant playing again. And <laughs> I think everybody feels the same way. Uh, Pete, the next question is from Jack of Las Vegas, and he sits in Section 13. Assuming the season is restarted, how do you approach coaching a team after a long layoff? That's a great question, Jack. Um, I've had a lot of our, our coaching calls um, and, and our calls with our strength and conditioning coaches about exactly that because this, this is something that has never happened before. Um, and the key difference is after a three or four month layoff, you come into training camp, the guys have been skating. Uh, so, you know, you're essentially hitting the ground running with, with, with guys that have been on the ice for most of August at, at the very least, um, you know, when, if, and when we go back now, I'm going to lean towards when, uh, there's a good possibility that 90 to, to 99% of the guys won't have skated the first day they show up. Uh, 
for our training camp, you know, however long that's going to be. And, and skating muscles and, and uh, that motion isn't something you can replicate in your basement or your backyard. You have to get on the ice to do it. No one's on the ice. So, you know, we're going we're gonna to have to put a lot of thought into that. We're going to have to really ease them into it. The last thing you want to do is start pulling groins and, and uh, stretching muscles. So, um, you know, a, a lot of our time here has been spent on the different scenarios and, and how we would – uh, best make use of, of uh, a camp and, and uh, keeping in mind the time off and the, and the tough spot these guys are going to be in. And Pete, some of that time off has been used for a good purpose in terms of health. And that leads us to a question from David in section six. David asked, can you give us an update on the health of the players who were injured when the games were stopped in mid-March? Yeah, uh, I actually just uh, within the last week, I've talked to, to Stoney, Tuck, and Patch, which were the main injuries. Um, all, you know, felt that uh, if we were playing playoff games, that they would be in the lineup as of a week ago. So, you know, I, I would term those guys all back to 100%. And if there is a silver lining, as long as we get to play again, I guess that's probably it that. Uh, you know, all three of those guys had pretty significant injuries that were going to keep them out for a while. I think had we uh, continued on with the season, they probably uh, all would have missed at least uh, the last two, three weeks of, uh, of March and maybe even into the first week of April prior to playoffs. So, uh, you know, everybody's back and healthy. I don't know if I'm missing any, any other injuries, but those were the main ones. Pete Thomas is from North Las Vegas, and he sits in Section 219. He wants to know, how do you like Vegas as a hockey town? <laughs> I love it. Um, you know, it, it's one of those places, as a visiting coach, uh, you hated. Uh, and we, we, had, we had multiple conversations with our group in San Jose when we came in about uh, how we continually allowed uh, Vegas uh, at different moments when we played them, you know, to turn one goal into two, into three because of the crowd. Um, the, you know, the crowd would build momentum. The team would feed off that momentum. Um, and we couldn't stop the bleeding. And, and that was, you know, 99% the environment uh, in the rink that was created by the crowd uh, um, and, and the players feeding off that. So, you know, to be on the, the right side of that now, uh, very happy to, to be on the other bench and, and have that behind us. And I've already seen that. I mean, I, I thought we were really good at home uh, in the home game stretch we had uh, just prior to shutting down. So was really looking forward to, to the playoff atmosphere in there. You know, Pete, a lot of the, the fans have become attached to players over the course of nearly three seasons here with the Golden Knights. We know you haven't been around for, for all of that as a Golden Knights coach, but Robert from Section 10 asked, if you could get one player back who has left, who would it be and why? Who's left the team? Yeah, I think that's what the question is uh, is focusing on. And I, I, again, I suppose that's me tough. Out. <laughs> help me out here, Dan. Give, start listing them off. Listen yeah. to the guys who aren't here well, anymore. Yeah, well, I, you know, uh, you think back to the beginning, like James Neal, David Perron, yeah. Eric Hallow, those were some of the top producers in that first season. Um, you know, and sometimes uh, you might look at the young prospects. Boy, they, they got Mark Stone, but they had to give up, say, Nick Suzuki, had to give up Tomas Tatar and the Pacioretty deal. A number 
number of different pieces that have moved on. Uh, I know that could be a tough question to answer, but that's what Robert yeah. wants to know. Well, just just off that list you're giving me, um, you know, I thought David Perron last year in the playoffs, I saw him firsthand. Uh, St. Louis beat us in the conference finals in San Jose, and he scored a couple of huge goals for them. Um, so I know James Neal is a playoff player. I got a lot of time for Eric Halla. You know, all the guys on that list are good players. Uh, but, you know, if I had to make a choice, I think just based on recency and, and how well he did last year on the way to the Stanley Cup, uh, I would say David Perron. Pete Azim is from Las Vegas, and he sits in Section 204. He wants to know how much collaboration is there between the coach and the front office regarding on-ice strategy and style of play? It's a great question. Um, I think, um, you know, when, when you get down to the details of how we're going to play in the X and O's and the technical package, uh, there's very little collaboration. Uh, I think, uh, uh, Kelly and George leave that solely to the coaching staff. Um, but big picture, uh, how we want to play as a team, what our identity is as a, as a group, uh, they definitely uh, have a vision and, and it has to match up with, with what we do as coaching staff. Uh, Pete, I guess I would follow on that one a little bit. First of all, they, uh, you know, they get the players for you and give you the roster. So um, that that style of play often is uh, is dictated by you know by who you have on your roster. Uh, you know, you were you've been here through here for a trade deadline. How involved were you, or how informed were you? Has uh, they started to go through the process of adding? Who did they add? They added Alec Martinez, Robin Leonard, and Nick Cousins. Three pretty big yeah. additions. Yeah. Well, I, I would say uh, definitely included. Um, you know, a lot of conversations going up to the trade deadline about team needs. Uh, more general, you know, not particularly this guy or that guy. I think, um, you know, the inner workings of that uh, coaches aren't involved in. But, you know, I believe they have a big list and, and they go in and they have guys ranked uh, in order of of how they want to get them. And, you know, they go down the list and, and try and make as many deals and get as many assets as they can. So had a lot of conversations with George and Kelly about just what we felt we needed a wish list in terms of, you know, a, a top four defenseman generalities like that, a, a third or fourth line depth forward that can chip in and score. And, you know, a, a goalie, uh, you know, that, uh, that we feel comfortable if there was an injury, uh, or something happened that he could go in and, and uh, still give us a chance to win a Stanley Cup. And so, you know, when you talk about those generalities, they, they went out and basically uh, filled all those needs with uh, and, and got exceptionally good players. I think what people have to understand is as important, as much time as they put into how good the player is, they put as much time in, into his character and off ice and what kind of person he is because there's a big belief in this organization that, that the player has to fit uh, from a, a mindset and a character point of view, and that's very important. Pete, the next question comes from Nepper in Section 6, and you've already answered some of his question, and I'm going to adjust it slightly. He's, he's curious about the status of Alex and Mark and Max, and if those guys are ready to go, uh, which players will be scratched? Rather than telling us what your lineup is going to be at some date in the future, I'm, I'm more curious in the process. Um, how 
will you think about, gee, if everybody's healthy, you've got some really talented players who are not going to fit into a, a list of 18 skaters whenever you guys do play again? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, even if I wanted to answer that, I, I, I wouldn't be able to tell them right now. Uh, you build depth through the trade deadline, through your American League team. Um, you know, having gone to two Stanley Cup finals, one with New Jersey and one with San Jose, uh, and I know the Vegas group, the core here, went to one a couple of years ago, you realize how many players you go through. It's a war of attrition. Uh, you know, guys are going down all the time. Um, you know, in my personal experience, we got the Stanley Cup final against Pittsburgh a few years ago, and, and Hurdle and Pavelski were both both hurt by the time we got there. Um, so, you know, I think uh, uh, Pavelski missed the, the conference final last year, big chunks of it. So, um, you know, I think you want to build that depth and get as much as possible because you know the injuries are coming. You know that if you go as far as you want to go, you're going to use everybody on that list. So, you know, who, who's out in game one? Uh, I don't know, but I can guarantee you, who's out in game one uh, will get an opportunity if you go deep enough to, to get in and contribute. Pete, Ben is from Las Vegas. He sits in section six. What are you, what are you and your players doing to stay in shape? Also <laughs> <laughs> wanted to make sure that the detail was there in that question. Also per the NHLPA, are you allowed to follow up with your players and make sure they are staying healthy and in good condition? Yeah. Great question. Um, second part, first I'll answer. Yes, we are allowed to follow up. There's obviously no personal contact. Um, but, uh, um, uh, we have gyms set up at uh, a lot of the players' houses with the equipment that we took from our practice rink and the game rink, and we outfitted as many as we could with home gyms. And I think they all have access to uh, uh, enough equipment to keep themselves in, in pretty good shape. And In my conversations with the guys, they're doing a real good job uh, with that. We've got a great strength and condi conditioning staff that is on top of these guys, and I know – you know, while I, my contact is sporadic, uh, those guys are talking to, to our players, you know, once, at, once or twice a week at least check in and making sure their workouts are going uh, properly. On my end, uh, they don't check in with me if I'm working out. They're just <laughs> assuming I'm going to be able to, uh, to get back and, and I'm going to be in decent enough shape to walk to the bench and, and stand back there. I told Gary the other day on a podcast I have put on a, a couple of pounds, but I'm comfortable. I can get it off before we get going again. <laughs> well, it was uh, uh, Dan. It was funny that the question was put to the coaching staff. How many of them were up or down? And Pete quickly turned it on me and said, "Well, you go first, Gary." And uh, uh, I was happy to report I was down. I, I'm, it's so rare in my life. I'm I'm making sure I repeat it in another public forum. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, but you went into the NHL pause on a positive trend, Gary. You were really working at it. I'm very impressed. And keeping yeah. it up is perhaps even more impressive. Um, you know, Pete, uh, I look at the date here. It's April 20th as we as we chat right now. And a year ago, the Golden Knights and the Sharks were in the midst of uh, one of the most memorable playoff series uh, we have seen. Um, and <laughs> I, I, I knew something like this was going to come up. Derek from Section 7 uh, is asking a question I think you've addressed, but but he still wants to know, a year later, was it really a major? 
<laughs> no, it wasn't a major. We all we all know it wasn't a major. You know, it was actually when I when I came in and addressed the team in Ottawa the first time. I that was one of the first things I said. We know it wasn't a major. You know, but uh, you know, I, I think uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, nobody likes to lose playoff games, and particularly in that way. At the same time, you know, these referees and we've all, you know, I've stood back there now. This is my 12th year coaching in the NHL. Uh, they're human and they make mistakes and they, you know, they make it based on the information they have right in front of them. And, you know, and all four guys are included. And, you know, uh, as bad as you feel for the guys on Vegas for losing that way, you also feel bad for the referee crew because they, they didn't want to play a role in in a loss like that. And, uh, they're pretty, pretty proud guys and, and veteran guys. So, um, you know, glad I was on the right side of it. Yeah. I guarantee you over 12 years, I've been on the wrong side of those a few times. Um, and you just try and move, move forward. And, and, you know, Pete, I guess the follow-up to that, just from my own curiosity would be now that it has been a year thinking back about that series, of course, we, we think about th- those, minutes there in in game seven but the whole series was just so dramatic uh and the second time the knights and sharks had met in the playoffs in two seasons now that it's a year removed what thoughts do you have what things do come to mind about the the series overall and um the the matchup between the sharks and the knights yeah well you know what i i think uh um you know if i if i had listed the the top five teams in the nhl last year i think st louis boston uh, Vegas and San Jose would be four of the five. I mean, you know, after, after we won that game seven series, we beat a very good Colorado team without Joe Pavelski in the lineup until game seven. Um, and then took St. Louis to, to six games without some key guys with a lot of injuries who ended up winning the Stanley cup. So, um, you know, it's the way the playoffs roll out in the Pacific division. Um, you know, sometimes, uh, you get, two of the top teams in the league playing in the first round and uh it's great hockey uh but you know it probably doesn't tell the tale about how good a team those are when they're sitting on the sidelines in the first round it is amazing when you go from uh, i happen to think the regular season in the nhl is is very good but that first round of the playoffs the 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 jump that teams have to make in intensity and physicality, all of those things. Like that was, uh, I, I give your team in San Jose a lot of credit for for getting as far as it did because that that series was going to take a chunk out of whoever won it. That was a hard fought series. Yeah, and a great point, Gary. I actually, we we spent a lot of time on whether we could emotionally get reengaged again for the Colorado series, and you know, to our group's credit. You know, they rallied around uh, our captain and, and giving him a chance to play again. They knew he was going to be out for a few weeks with a concussion and, um, you know, was probably not going to be available in the series unless we could advance by Colorado. We ended up coming back for game seven, but, um, you know, that was kind of the rallying point. But without that, I don't know if we would have emotionally been able to, to get back up because that was a draining series for everybody. Kenneth sits in section 12. He's from Henderson. First of all, Pete, he says, thank you for deciding to move here and for doing a great job coaching the team to first place in the Pacific Division. Are there any changes you plan to make when the team resumes practicing and playing after the NHL pause? 
Yeah, great question. Um, there's always changes. I, I think I think as soon as the pause ends, for me, I want to get back to how we were playing just prior to the pause. Um, you know, to take Mark Stone out of our lineup and, out, and Tucky out of our lineup. You know, we went into Calgary, went into Edmonton, I thought played you know, fantastic hockey games, especially the Edmonton game, you know, being short, short handed, I thought, uh, really played to our identity, had four lines going, our goaltending was great. Uh, I thought we, we really, uh, defensively played well, really controlled the game. Um, and you know, I thought we were starting to, uh, really believe, uh, and get a belief system and how we needed to play, especially on the road. Um, in order to have success. So for me, it's getting back to that point as quickly as possible. And when you're off for, for however long this is going to be, it looks like it's going to be at least a couple months and maybe more. Um, you know, you've got to start really from scratch. You, you got to start uh, reminding them of the systems and responsibilities, but also more importantly, the identity we want to play with uh, that, that uh, uh, relentlessness uh, and the, that four line six defense, uh, a rotation that can really wear teams down. Yeah, and that fits nicely, Pete, with the next question we have, and that's from Joe, who's from Las Vegas and has seats in Section 203, and he points out that he is an original season ticket holder. Thank you, Joe. The question is, in the short time that we have established the Knights way of playing, fast and hard on defense to create the same opportunities on the other side of the ice, my question is, long-term, are you looking to keep this style and your add your signature to it, or change? Yeah. No, I, I mean, this team has had great success. Uh, you know, my, my intention coming in here wasn't to, uh, to change uh, the way or the identity that this team's built. It was to get back to it. It had slipped a little bit uh, the first few months of the season this year. Uh, you know, some new additions, uh, you know, whatever the reason, um, you know, uh, what had get, made this organization and this group of men successful really successful for two or three years what was their work ethic and, and how relentless they were and it was just to reestablish that a little bit which I think we, we did and started to do um, you're always looking to make changes you know our special teams can always be better particularly our penalty kill but I thought even our power play uh, you get to the playoffs special teams are critical there might only be one or two a night but you know you've got to win that that end of the battle so that's something we're going to spend time on and try and get better at for sure. Pete, I don't know if you know this, but uh, our friend Dan Duva has quite a sweet tooth. So uh, just keep that in mind. You know, don't uh, if you're you know in in line at a team meal or something, don't uh, yeah. don't go behind Dan when you're getting to the uh, to the dessert table. So uh, Dan, you're going to answer this question as well. It comes from Catherine, who sits in section two twenty one. Catherine's from Vegas. Pete and Dan, what is your favorite ice cream flavor and topping? Wow. Wow. Go ahead, Dan. You start. Well, I got it. First of all, um, as we know, Easter just passed uh, over the weekend, and I give up ice cream for Lent every year. So I went, 
you know, 40 days and 40 nights without ice cream, more than 40 days and nights. And uh, I, I made sure to get both uh, coffee flavored and strawberry flavored ice cream to celebrate on Easter. So uh, I, I, I do love the coffee ice cream, but um, there aren't going to be too many flavors that I'm going to turn away. But the first one that comes to mind is uh, coffee flavored ice cream. I'm not big on the toppings, but uh, I don't know, maybe some some chocolate sprinkles. <laughs> wow, I, I'm not a I'm not a, a, a ice cream connoisseur. I grew up uh, in small town Canada, and, and uh, we used to get the uh, the Napolitan uh, ice cream, where you got a little bit of chocolate, a little bit of strawberry, a little bit of vanilla. All right, Neapolitan, you know that's that's uh, from yeah. Naples in uh, in Italian. You know, it's my 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 family is not too far from Naples, back in Italy. <laughs> yeah, and no topping, so. You know, I used to always dig out the strawberry uh, uh, portion of, of that uh, of that jug. So I would have to say strawberry with a strawberry uh, topic. Hold there on, you, go. you would go into the family curtain <laughs> and when and take all of the strawberry out. There'd be a big hole where the strawberry was, and the other two would be perfectly solid. You would not be a very popular guy some nights oh, in your house. No, it didn't go wow. over well. <laughs> no kidding. Go ahead, Dan. Well, that's great. Well, Gary, well, you got to tell us your favorite flavor now. Uh, you know, I'm not, uh, uh, as odd as it may seem, I'm not a real big dessert guy. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, uh, uh, butterscotch, I guess. Butterscotch. Maybe. Yeah, I like butterscotch. All yeah, right. For sure. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I, I'm good with all of these flavors. Gelato, too. That's almost another category entirely. Uh, we digress. Let's move on to uh, another question. And this is from Edison in Section 11. And, and you kind of touched on this a few moments ago, Pete. But I'll, I'll ask Edison's question the way he phrases it. What do you think might have contributed to the team's choppy play earlier in the year as opposed to what we've seen more recently and, and in particular after you were hired? We know the team was playing its best hockey of late right before the NHL paused. Yeah, again, you know, I, I, specifics, I don't know. I mean, I was, I was coaching in San Jose the first half of the year, so I didn't get a chance to watch the team regularly, only uh, the games we played against them or some of the pre-scouting games we did. Um, you know, I, I just think back to what I said a few questions ago. I just think uh, that identity slipped a little bit. You know, it can be as simple as that. And, and when it slips, um, and it's happened to me before, uh, in San, it happened to me this year in San Jose. Our identity slipped the first half of the year. Some new players uh, trying to get up to speed, some injuries, then you lose a little bit of confidence. It's hard to get that back again. Um, so, uh, and, and I think, uh, you know, when I came in, that was the number one thing. It wasn't an X and O thing. It was trying to reestablish that. Uh, and uh, I thought the guys did a good job of, of resetting and, and doing that. Uh, Pete, we've got an interesting question from Jean-Paul. He sits in Section 211. He's from Las Vegas. Uh, if I'll just sort of refresh your memory. If you can recall, before your first game at the, the team hotel in Ottawa, when you came down the elevator, I was sitting in the lobby, I watched it, 
there, the lobby was full of people and the security guards had lined them up in a, in a nice order, but, and you were able to walk down and, and meet some fans and take a few quick pictures and sign a few autographs. But there were a lot of people there. Uh, John Paul's question was, were you surprised at the amount of fan support in the hotel lobby in Ottawa before your first game as head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights? Yeah, I was, and I shouldn't have been because, uh, you know, the one thing that, that I think has surprised me has just been the passion of the Vegas Knight fans uh, everywhere you go, particularly in Vegas, um, you know, up in Summerlin where our practice rink is, where, where we live, um, you know, I don't know why, but I thought I'd be, you know, be able to go for dinner or go, go for a walk without running into to Vegas night fans, and, and you can't, and it's great. Um, you know, they're they're absolutely everywhere and they're passionate. So uh, we see them on the road; they're traveling, following the, the team. Uh, I think uh, you know people in different cities have fallen in love with uh, with this group and this logo and the identity of this team. Um, so. You know, I shouldn't have been surprised. I was because it was a great reception that day in Ottawa and a, and a great night. And, a, you know, my my recollection of that day is all fuzzy. It was such a blur. But I do remember uh, the great warm reception we got uh, leaving and the hotel that day. And the next question, Pete, is from Emily in Section 18. And Emily is curious about your experience moving to Las Vegas. It was. It might seem like a long time ago. It was only a few months back, and uh, the team, of course, had been on the road and then came home. You had the All Star break. So, what was your experience like moving to Las Vegas? Well, again, you know, the first thing that I can say is just I, I can't believe what a what a hockey town it is. Uh, I don't know why I thought maybe it was it would be just at the games or just down on the strip, but it's absolutely everywhere. Um, they, you know, the passion for the team. Uh, and I know there's an NFL team coming, but I don't, I don't know how that changes, how, how the golden Knights aren't Las Vegas's team because uh, the logos are everywhere. The fans are everywhere you go in town. So that's the first thing that struck me. Um, I didn't get a lot of time. Uh, you know, it's hard to believe, but when I took the job, I think we played, was it nine in a row on the road or nine of 10 or eight of nine? Um, you know, it was, it was one of those, uh, things you take the job and then you look at the schedule and go, Oh my God, maybe I should have waited two weeks. Um, but you know what? The guys, the guys dug in, it really could have been when, when I look at where we're sitting now at first in the Pacific and I look back to, to, to that point, um, if the guys didn't get on board quickly, if they didn't buy in, if they didn't start to implement the things we were talking about as quickly as possible, um, you know, we really could have stumbled around and we wouldn't be sitting in the spot we are right now. So full credit to them. It was a, it was a tough decision and a, and a real good man left uh, that the guys all cared about, um, but they didn't hang their head. Uh, you know, they really uh, took it as a, a personal uh, took it personally and, and, and really set out to fix it. And then they did it quickly, which, which just put us in a good spot now. Yeah. Your first three were on the road and then there was the all-star break and bye, and then the team went back out on the road for four 
came home for one and then went back out for another pair. So you're correct. It was nine of 10, nine uh, of 10. on the, on the road for your start. If uh, yeah. I think that's the way it was, Dan, is that correct? Yeah. If it, the uh, Pete's first game was in Ottawa and it was, um, it was, you know, eight straight with the all-star break in the middle. So it was seven straight on the road, then, you know, back home. So yeah, you, you've got it pretty much right. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. a long time ago now. It was. It was a, da- uh, it was a daunting schedule. That's <laughs> it, right. was, it, it was. It was. Right. was. Yeah. Uh, Gwen is from Henderson and she sits in section 12. Hi coach. I know I may be beating a dead horse, but were you at all concerned the fans would not accept you here because of how much we despise the Sharks down to the very bottom of our gold-blooded hearts? <laughs> That's a pretty yeah. clever question. Well done, yeah. Great, Great question, and, and absolutely, it's human nature. Um, you know, uh, and, and that included the team, too, the players. You know, there was a lot of... Uh, of of heated uh, battles, a lot of, of hatred in that rivalry between the two teams, and you know, um, and and it wasn't just one series. That was over three years. We had some some epic uh, battles in games in both buildings. So, um, you know, I think for me, it was one, uh, you know, making sure that the team would accept me. Uh, and to their credit, they showed a lot of maturity uh, there. You know, they they just wanted to win. Um, and, and that I didn't feel took long and that started with the leadership group, uh, you know, Derek England and, and stone and, and, uh, and the whole group of guys, I thought, uh, you know, that, that, uh, or the leadership of that team really drove the bus and, and, and moving, you know, through that awkwardness on the team level, uh, on the fan level. Absolutely. And, you know, it was it was worse because we were on the road. I we we couldn't get home, so it was like, you know, you were you were waiting. It was either, uh, you know, you were just giving the fans time to to see what the reaction was going to be or to build something up. And, and you know, it was would almost been better if we could have got the first game out of the way early. We didn't. We were on the road. You know, I, I think thankfully uh, the fans uh, saw that the team was playing hard, that it wasn't going to affect the team. Um, and they took their cue from, from them. And, uh, you know, and like I said, I can't say enough about the people I met, the fans, uh, great people. They're passionate about their team, but, but, but really great people. You know, we had, we had, uh, uh, a couple real estate agents that, uh, that really helped me and my wife out finding a place went over and above, um, you know, just everybody we ran into was, was willing to, to help us, uh, feel, feel at home. Uh, you know, the, the longer we got there. So I can't say enough about that. The changing of a, of a, of a manager or a coach or, or the trading of a player, it tests the individual's concept of loyalty because, you know, maybe you're a big Cody Eakin fan or, uh, or, you know, whoever it is. And that player or a coach or manager moves on and someone comes in and, you, uh, I believe I wrote it at the time that, you know, your the loyalty that fans would have for Gerard Gallant shouldn't prevent them from having, um, you know, loyalty to Pete DeBoer because at the end of the day, it's the loyalty to the Vegas Golden Knights and what the organization is trying to do, and that's win a championship. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I think 
Kelly's spoken about, you know, how hard that decision is to make. I don't think anyone wants to make those decisions. I know Doug Wilson, when he fired me uh, in San Jose, you know, 30 games after going to a conference final, you know, didn't want to make that decision. No one wants to. Um, but, um, you know, right from Bill Foley down, make no mistake, uh, you know, this group is here to win a Stanley Cup. And uh, if there's tough decisions that have to be made at the coaching level, at the coach to player level, at the player to, to player level, um, you know, we're expecting that, that those are going to happen. Pete, you know, the next question is from Mark in Section 20, and he's um, curious about leadership since we've just been talking about it. And Mark says, first off, thank you for being our coach. And Mark goes on to point out that he himself was a a former multi-sport athlete and is curious about the need for having a captain moving forward. um, And what are your thoughts on the Golden Knights at the moment and so far in their history, not having named to see. You've talked quite a bit about Joe Pavelski and having been the captain there in San Jose. What are your thoughts on uh, the potential of a captain for the Golden Knights? Well, I think you have to take a little trip in history a little bit because I was enlightened uh, to it too when I got here. I think I think the reason uh, we didn't have a captain uh, in Vegas to begin with was the identity of this team, uh, basically coming out of expansion, you were getting all these guys that were left unprotected or traded for was that uh, the strength of the team was going to be in the group. Um, you know, I think uh, four years into that now, you know, maybe going into five next year, you know, the question is, has someone stepped forward where you can change that philosophy? We, we've established our identity uh, as a team and how we want to play. Uh, I'm a believer in in, uh, in a captain, um, and uh, you know I think we have a lot of candidates in that dressing room. I'm still getting to know the group, um, but uh, you know that's something that uh, I'll have to discuss with Bill Foley and George and and Kelly and and see where, what their feeling is on it. Pete, just to follow up on that, and having been a head coach at different levels and with a few different NHL teams, what is a process normally like for a team to choose its captain? And some guys, you know, have been captain for a long, long time. Uh, some you have to make that decision. Is uh, what is that decision making process like in your experience? Well, I think everybody's different, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I've got a son who plays university hockey. I, I believe they took a team vote, uh, an anonymous team vote on it. Um, you know, the way I've always done it has been, I've made the decision, uh, but I do it in consultation with my assistant coaches, with the leadership group, but more importantly, with, with being around the group long enough that you get to know them and, and someone steps forward. And I can tell you, they're not easy. Uh, when I named Joe Pavelski captain, you got to remember, uh, you had Patrick Marlowe and Joe Thornton who both wore the C at different points for San Jose sitting in the dressing room at that, at that point. And, uh, you know, we, we still name Joe captain. So they're, they're never easy. And, and you all, you always have a group of guys that uh, could take that role. But, but for me, there's always someone that steps forward a little bit and, um, you know, it's just getting to know the group long enough to figure out who that is. Julie from section 209. She's from Henderson. Her question is, what was the biggest transition for you between coaching the San Jose Sharks and the Vegas Golden Knights? 
you know what the big <laughs> funny story but the biggest transition was was getting to know the names <laughs> to call out and and we had a little uh, uh, uh we had a little running joke i don't know if you see before the games but uh, will carrier gives me one of those uh, sniffers the uh um to to wake up because uh, i basically said prior to the first game hey you know, if I call you Jumbo or Burnsy or, <laughs> or something, someone someone tell me to wake up. So he hands me the, the sniffer before every game, uh, I think at least in part to make sure I've got my head on straight and make sure I've got the names right, although it's becoming second nature now, uh, this group. So getting to know the guys, uh, you know, and who to call out uh, was definitely a piece of that. Uh, Pete, the next question is from Augie in Section 205, and, and Augie's looking at the last 10 Stanley Cup winners and pointing out the elite defensemen they've had, whether it's Dowdy or Keith or Carlson, Petrangelo, Latang, Chara, etc. Um, and Augie points out Shea Theodore in his emergence. Um, what do you seen from Shea? Uh, and, and he, of course, had come up with the Ducks, now with the Golden Knights. You've had a couple of very talented defensemen over in San Jose, and, and of course, many through your career, um, and haven't gotten to the Cup final we know a couple of times what about Shea and and that thought of an elite defenseman being integral to a Stanley Cup winner yeah um I don't know if it's integral uh I think uh you know there are teams on that list without one I think Carolina won one without one um and there might be someone else but uh I believe Shea is on that list of guys and and is going to move higher up that list as he gets a little older, a little more mature, the, the growth in his game, even in the short time I was with him, I thought was exceptional. And he belongs uh, on that list of guys uh, that you're talking about there. So, um, you know, whether or not you need one, I don't think it's going to matter because I believe we're going to have one in him, uh, you know, moving forward here for a long time. Peter uh, is from North Las Vegas, sits in section 215. He is curious if uh, he points out that you've got a real nice collection of players and he's curious if you do play again this year, uh, what would the lines and defense pairings look like? Would they, you know, would you go back probably to what you had just before the break, except with the, uh, you know, the addition of some healthy players? How do you think you'd form your lines, Pete? Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, we've got two starting goaltenders just starting from the back. Um, I liked how our defense defensive pairs rolled out uh, just prior to the break. You know, we had bumped Martinez up into the top four uh, with Theodore, and I thought they looked really good together. Um, you know, and that gave us, I thought, uh, you know, I thought we were actually eight deep uh, when, you, when you include England and uh, Merrill. Um, and then you also include uh, Nick Hag, probably nine deep with NHL defensemen. Uh, there that you can roll out, which which you need. Like I said in the first conversation, the first question, if you're going to go where you want to go, you're going to you're going to use. I guarantee you, all nine of those guys at, at one point or another. You know, up, up front, it, it just depends on health. Um, we really never had a full roster um, because of health reasons, but it also that also you know gave us the advantage of seeing Nick Waugh, uh in a key role for a long time and. I'm very comfortable he can play and help us in, in the playoffs. So, you know, uh, we got to know Mark our, uh, uh, Cousins uh, after uh, um, the trade deadline and what he can do. And he looks like he, he's a playoff-type player for me, Nick Cousins, and he's going to be able to help us. So, 
Um, you know, I, I think there's a there's a great group. I'm Stevenson would be the other guy that got a good good opportunity because of some injuries. You know, and he's a guy that that can play up and down your lineup and really help you. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of depth there. I don't know what the lines will look like. Uh, you know, we want to get again. You, you know, being healthy again, getting Tuck back, getting Stony back in the lineup uh, gives you a lot of options. Pete, can I just ask you real quickly about? Um, I kind of always thought that William Carlson would fit real nicely between Pacioretty and Stone. And uh, um, what brought you to that decision? And how did you, you know, they only got to play together for a little bit before they got, before Mark got nicked up. Uh, what did, what, what brought you to putting that combination together and how much, and did you like it when you did have it together? Yeah. Yeah. They were, they, they were elite uh, as soon as we put them together. Uh, you know, their numbers, their analytics were off the chart. What I like about them is yeah, defensively and their, their play away from the puck is exceptional. They can play against the McDavid's and the McKinnons of the world defensively and hold their own. And they're very dangerous going the other way uh, when the puck turns and, and can turn that into offense. And a lot of times, that's what it is. If you can defend well against good players, you're going to have some room to make plays at the other end. And those guys get that. Um, you know, the reason we did it and, and the reason we were allowed to do it uh, was the play of Stasny. You know, how well he played for 20 games, uh, you know, or 15 games while Carlson was out. Uh, um, you know, he really took a step, I thought. Uh, you know, really did a good job. Uh, and that allowed us to to really look at some different combinations uh, when Carlson got healthy. Pete, I would imagine that the folks listening to us right now share the feeling that I have that Gary has. It is so interesting to hear you talk about your processes as a coach. But our next question from Douglas in Section 225 is, who most influenced your approach to coaching and your coaching philosophy? It's a great question. Um, you know, just this past week, we lost a great man, Tom Webster, um, my first junior coach. Um, you know, he was a guy that really turned me on to coaching Paul Maurice, uh, too. Uh, gives him a lot of credit. Um, so he would be the first guy that comes to mind. And, uh, you know, rest in peace. Uh, we just lost him this past week. Um, but then I think you take a little bit from every guy that you've worked with or played played for. I, I had a short career, but I played for some great coaches. Ron LaPointe, Ron Wilson in the minors, uh, Kurt Fraser. I was around Pat Quinn, uh, you know, at, at a bunch of training camps uh, when I was with Vancouver's uh, club. So definitely those guys while I was playing. And then uh, when I was coaching, the, the best thing I did was get involved with the national team with Canada uh, at the world junior level, I worked with Brent Sutter, um, you know, and at the world championship level, when my teams in Florida missed the playoffs, I went over and got a chance to work with Craig McTavish and Ken Hitchcock, got to be around Tom Rennie and got to hear Dave King speak. So every time you're, you're around those guys, you're, you're grabbing different things. So, uh, Ken Hitchcock, um, so, you know, I think that's, that's what coaches have to do. You, you basically, uh, you know, everybody you come in contact with, you try and uh, grab the best pieces and, and implement them into what you're doing. Keith has got a great question. He sits in section 226. He's from North Las Vegas. 
We've all seen how versatile John Merrill is. One goal in less than 20 minutes of ice time has a forward. In your opinion, which Golden Knight forward would make the best defenseman <laughs> in an emergency situation? I love this question. Great question. Uh, you know what? I think uh, two guys that come to mind right off the, the top of my head are Riley Smith and, uh, and William Carlson. Um, and, and the reason why, uh, and I can tell you this, is, is I remember when Sergei Fedorov did it for the Detroit Red Wings, um, and it was because so responsible and such a great skater. Uh, you know, we've got some guys up front that are great going one way. I'm not sure Stoney can skate backwards. I have to check. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's a great player, but, uh, you know, he doesn't have those skills. Uh, um, but those two guys, you know, have those to have that Fedorov type skating that, uh, and, 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 and responsibility to their game that I believe they could do that. Well, Riley Smith's brother, he plays uh, yeah. a little bit of forward and a little bit of defense for the New York Rangers. So, uh, um, I like your thinking there, Pete. I'm sure yeah. that really makes you feel good that I like your thinking. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we don't have to get there. Yeah, that's a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it's funny that like there aren't too many of those guys now who you might call a rover. Um, you know, like Luke Witkowski was doing it a little bit with Detroit and yeah. then Tampa and, and so on. It's um, it's an interesting art if you can pull it off. I guess. Well, well you know what? Uh, I'll tell you what. Amazing athletes. Uh, one guy, Dustin Bufflin and Brent Burns, yeah. come to mind. Both guys would score thirty goals if you played them on the wing and are Norris Trophy candidates as defensemen. I mean, that's just uh, that's, that's crazy talent. Yeah, when Dan said Rover, Big Buff, that's who uh, yeah. uh, came to mind. I had a front row seat watching him play for a number of years in Winnipeg. Uh, Pete, the, the next one is uh, uh, very interesting because the Golden Knights fans are learning uh, who the rivals will be. And we listened to Gary Bettman do an interview uh, that was taped right before the first home game in Golden Knights history. We're talking about who do you think will be the team's rival? And he said it's going to be whoever you have a long playoff series against. But Rick from Section 19 first wants to apologize for all the bad things he ever said about you. <laughs> <laughs> but then Thanks, asks, Rick. Yeah, there you go. Rick in section 19. Uh, you know, because of the intense rivalry that was between the Sharks and the Golden Knights, did you think about that? But just uh, he says you're doing an awesome job. Um, just your thought on on rivalries, their place in the game, because even a division opponent in the regular season only plays four times, maybe five. Uh, it, it, just your thought on, on the rivalries and the importance that they have, the place that they have in the NHL today. Yeah. I love them, um, you know, and I know that's that's why we have the playoff format we have, so that you, you're playing in the division as long as possible, and you can create those. I think I think the league's built on rivalries, and I know it's been thrown out there different playoff formats, maybe one versus sixteen, regardless of where it's located. Um, but but I think it's great when you know when we drop the puck for game one of the season, we know we've got to go through. LA or Vancouver or San Jose or, or Anaheim or, or Phoenix, uh, you know, in order to, to, uh, have a chance to win or, or at least a couple of those teams. So, you know, uh, I think it makes the, the regular season games against those. And I know I can tell you behind the scenes, we're talking, those are all four point games. Um, you want home ice advantage if you get into a game seven, uh, especially, 
uh, in our rink and with our fans, it's a huge advantage uh, for us. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that's something that I think helps during the regular season when you're playing those teams, even though you are only playing them four times. Pete Silla six, sits in Section 104. She's from Las Vegas. She wants to thank you for the opportunity to connect. And would you please tell us how you evaluate talent? What do you look for first in a player? How do you identify what motivates each player? And is there any Vegas Golden Knight player who surprised you after you joined the team? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, every player is different. I, I can tell you, you know, what we're looking for as a coach is you're looking for competitiveness. You're looking for team first people. You're looking for guys that are smart enough that they can grasp systems and, and play systems with speed. Um, I think, uh, you know, as, as far as evaluating that, I think, I think George and Kelly and the scouting staff are the guys that really get the credit for that. Cause you know, those are the criteria they look for when they're drafting players, when they're bringing them in, when I get them, uh, you know, they all, they all have those identity features for the most part, uh, because of all the work that's gone in, uh, to getting them before they ever put a Jersey on. So, um, you know, I, I think, uh, those guys do a fantastic job of making sure that, that the players they bring in have those type of identity traits that fit with how we want to play. Um, you know, the, the most surprising player, oh, there was a lot. I mean, you know, Mark Stone is elite, elite. I knew he was a really good player, but I didn't realize, you know, how good, uh, you know, I, I think uh, he could be an MVP candidate down the road. He's for sure a Selkie award winner at some point in his career here because of the way he plays both ends of the rink. I think Riley Smith for me, uh, you know, was, was probably surprising. And I didn't realize uh, how much leadership and, and how much of a 200 foot honest game he played every situation, power play, penalty kill, up a goal, down a goal in the last minute. Uh, you know, you can put him anywhere on defense. Uh, if we need him, he'll be on the top of my list. So, you know, those are a couple names that, that hop out. Shea Theodore and how well he's played uh, uh, definitely is one. Uh, you know, I, I, Braden McNabb I always knew was a good player. But, you know, you got you got a lot of guys there that I think are just hitting their peaks. Um, and they're taking strides every, every day, every month. Uh, and so that – that changes. If you ask me a month from now, it might, it might be Tuck. It might be a couple other guys. Yeah, Pete, we're running out of time, so we want to try to get a couple of more questions in here if, if we can. Uh, Justin from Section 19 has a fun one. The Golden Knights seem to be a group of gentlemen who enjoy their gourmet food and adult beverages, as do our wonderful podcast team. That's a quote, by the way. I didn't say that. That's that's Justin saying that. Uh, and uh, many uh, have menu items named after them. Following that theme, if you had a food or a drink named after you, what would it be and what would you call it and why? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a beer. I'm a beer guy. I'm actually uh, uh, I know Ryan Reeves has a beer company. I, I tried his beer at our, at our charity ball. Uh, I thought it was awesome really good so i'm hoping ryan and i get close enough that he'll name a beer after me there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh food food items i'm i'm, I'm nuts and bolts uh, there's nothing fancy to, to what i do in the beverage or food department so uh i can tell you on our coaching staff our, our food and wine connoisseur is steve spot he's got a he's got very high-end 
taste, and uh, he would be the guy that, uh, that would, they would be naming some of these things after. Well, uh, we might have time for one more. Have you got one picked out, Gary, or we might be able to wrap it up? Because there, there are a few questions that a lot of people have asked and, uh, you know, a lot of repeat questions. Do you have one in mind, Gary, to wrap things up? Uh, sure. Uh, this is from Norma, Section 216. Norma hails from Henderson. Of the three NHL teams you have been head coach of, it's four, actually, so four, we'll yeah. help you out with that one, Norma. Which team had similar chemistry to what the Golden Knights have? Yeah, great question. Um, yeah, I, I I don't blame Norma for only having three. I've, I've blocked out my Florida experience, too. So. <laughs> I'll go with Norma. It's been three. New Jersey, San Jose, and Las Vegas. Um, you know, I, I think uh, anytime you've gone on a long playoff run, you have special chemistry in your room, special leadership. And the, the the two teams, I, I can't say one because New Jersey, uh, when I was there, uh, Zach Parise was our captain. Marty Berdur was our 40-year-old starting goalie. A lot, of, a lot of similarities, I think, to this team. Um, you know, we weren't nearly as talented as this group in Vegas, but we ended up being a, uh, a seven seed going to the Stanley Cup final, uh, you know, and played all but one series uh, as the underdog. Um and, uh, and then, uh, you know, the San Jose team that went to the final, again, great leadership, great chemistry in the dressing room, uh, you know, led by Joe Pavelski. So a lot of similarities to both those teams, uh, you know, in, in different ways. Uh, two quick ones to wrap it up, Pete. A lot of folks are interested about the possibility of playing without fans in arenas. I know we talked about it earlier, but um, in particular Vegas, because of the home ice advantage, the crowds at T-Mobile, um, where does that fit in terms of home ice and the importance of trying to play games in front of the T-Mobile crowd? Yeah, well, obviously that's what we want. It's a huge advantage for us, um, you know, and I can't overstate that i think uh we all recognize that the boost energy uh our crowd gives us when when those guys walk out there i've told you from standing on the other bench uh, the disadvantage the other team is uh, especially when the momentum shifts uh in in the night's favor uh, and the crowd gets into it it's uh it's like you know a, a jet landing on top of your house it's it's that loud the building shaking so uh, that's where we want to get to. I know we'll get there uh, again eventually. I don't know when because of this health uh, thing. But, you know, if we have to play games uh, uh, before we get to, to that point, uh, then our goal is to play as many games as we can uh, to give ourselves as long a run as we can to hopefully get those fans back in the building to see us win. And that leads us perfectly to our final question. It's from Brandon in Section 224. And Brandon asks or requests, in a sentence, define success. Well, success is Stanley, is Stanley Cup. I think that's, that's what, what everybody's here for. Um, you know, and, and you, can't, you can't hide from that. I know people talk about not talking about it and jinxing it. But, you know, for me... Um, you know, I'm a big believer. You want to, you want to talk about your goals and, and that's the goal of this group. And, you know, it's a hard thing to do, uh, as we all know, but, uh, you know, we feel real good about our opportunity and our chances. 
Well, Pete, that wraps it up. Uh, thank you so much for spending time with us. We had so many great questions. We tried to get to as many as we could. Thank you so much for taking this time to answer questions from our season ticket members. Yeah, cheers, guys. Stay safe, and uh, we'll see you soon. Great. Well, all the best to you and your family, Pete. Thanks. Thank you. So that is head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, Pete DeBoer, chatting with us, uh, in particular answering these questions from our season ticket members. And Gary, an exclusive opportunity to, to chat with the head coach. Uh, I guess uh, we should watch out for our jobs. We get some great questions in there. Well, I faked the four of those questions. They were my questions. I just threw <laughs> in there. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> well, great. Well, thanks again, gang. We appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next time on the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast presented by the D Hotel. Take care.